0: Germany's social market economy combines free markets with a strong welfare
1: state. It becomes the social democratic party. Yes, we can. Education, education, and education.
0: Hello and welcome to the Centre Think Tanks podcast, the Centrist podcast. I'm your host, Will Barber-Taylor. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by James Steele, a Liberal Democrat councillor for West Borough on Guildford Council and the lead councillor for the environment on Guildford Borough Council. Welcome to the podcast, James. Thank you, Well, Great to have you on, James. Now, the first question I'd like to ask is um, what made you decide to stand as a councillor initially? What, what made you decide to get involved in local politics to begin with?
1: Uh, That's a that's a very good question. So, I mean, I've always been quite active in, at least in the few years leading up to the election, which was in 2019, um, sort of the local, the local party, uh, or the Mm -hmm. local Liberal Democrat Party in Guildford, um, I helped um, a lot with a county council campaign that took place in the seat, or or in, it took place in the, in one of the areas of my seat, Um, my current seat is uh, situated in. Uh, luckily, we managed to win. We've been in, uh, we had a, we had a sitting councillor, we managed to actually massively increase her majority at the time, which was fantastic. Um, from a, a Liberal Democrat perspective, um, uh, but you know, I'd always you know been happy to be a paper candidate. I was for that count, uh, county elections if, uh, for, um, yeah, at the time, of course, it's for a warding which is miles away from where I actually lived. Um, but the, sort of, the main thing sort of popped up in t- sort of twenty nineteen um at the, at the time was that they felt like there the were decisions being made by the council itself were very unambiguous is the best way to describe it from what was then student issues or at least you know from my experience of being a, a, a university student at the time um and also general issues of youth and and when i i you know, was speaking to people who were on the council um, you know, they were saying that a lot of the people there were, you know, 50 plus, they weren't that they would be really there of my age, um, or, or or close to my age. Um, so I kind of decided that you know I would really want to help out. And then there was a um one of the councillors for the seat, uh, again, the person who I helped um get in, in 2017 for the county. Uh, you know, said, well, do you want to stand in Westboro, which is uh, one of the seats in which you he helped fight for, for me? And, and I went, yeah, absolutely. And I'm one of these people that, that doesn't necessarily do things by half measures and went hell to leather, leafleting, door knocking, the whole job lot in the, in the lead up to that election. And um, I was really pleased and um, I just couldn't believe it when I was able to get elected in, in 2019. So yeah, that's the sort of story for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, you mentioned that um, getting involved whilst um, a student, and, and, and also that you saw a lot of people who were of a a, a particular age who might not be reflective of the of the general student population, young population, um, that you obviously knew and, and, and were a part of. Now, um, when you were um, a, a, a student, I know one of the things that um, was particularly important for you um, was housing, and it's an important issue for a lot of students as well, and you were part of uh, fundamental in setting up the Surrey student housing cooperative now how do you think the um housing crisis has impacted you and your local area from the perspective of someone both just as a resident but also someone uh, who is a, a
1: counsellor? that is a very good very good question <laughs> and a good way of putting it all together yeah. so well, yeah, one of the fundamental issues we have in Guildford at this stage is that there are generations of, well, there is a generation that was similar to my age and below that the prices to be able to buy houses in Guildford is just too high. Um, I mean, I'm a renter at the moment and I kind of expect to remain a, re- a renter for mm-hmm. a um, at least another decade, if not so. Um, so, yeah, you have a situation where you know, you have a lot of, you know, a lot of houses which are owned, especially in the east, east of the town, um, where you have a lot of houses which are sort of owned by families and whatnot, but then there's those children, unless their parents really have a substantial amount of, um, you know, cash available for, for, them, for them to be able to then use for deposits or whatnot, are very much priced out of being able to at least buy or buy a house in the town in which they want to, want to stay in. Mm. You know, this is something which we see all over the country, especially in, in the Southeast, um you know as we know from looking at wage to um house price num house price figures that you know the wages have very much been quite stagnant for uh and for 15 or so years um in, in reality it's the real real term wages, um whereas house price figures have gone up and, and exponentially you know uh, and it is a deep unfair issue in society and it, and it plays an effect not just on a national scale but also locally as well so yeah you have those you have those issues and then you're trying then you want to find ways of going around that and it's part of it is a sort of societal, societal change we mm. i mean I, I certainly think for my generation at least for the working class side of my generation we're not hell bent on wanting to own property it's mm. not something in which you know is is an absolute life idea to do it's what we want the ability to live in safe clean um, and warm houses at a reasonable cost.
0: So the next question I was going to ask um, is about housing co-ops and Mm. um, whether you think that um, housing co-ops help residents in um, Surrey and in other parts of the country and whether you think we should have um, more housing uh,
1: co-ops across Mm. the country. So um, it's (laughs) been... Unfortunately, I don't know too many examples in Surrey. Um, I, you know, I tried very much when I was a student to look at a student housing cooperative, um, and there are great examples out there. Edinburgh and um, Sheffield being two quite key examples of, of some really good student housing co-ops out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, yeah, for the general south, is still it's still working. With, it's still a case of working with um, you know cooperative institutions, ensuring that there's people that are you know, committees are able to put the time together to actually really progress that forward. You know, just to give an idea, because I know people are wondering, well, what is he talking about housing co-ops? What are they? Um, the general gist of a housing co-op is that everybody owns the property, effectively, uh, and the amount of, yeah, the amount of rent you pay or the amount you pay into the property for its upkeep and for its running is sort of decided by the tenant. So, you know, one. One month you could decide to pay four hundred pounds, but another month it could get it could could have been quite a sort of cold period, and as such, a greater amount needs to be placed on more of the heating side of things. it could go down to three hundred pounds, and the whole idea is that you have some sort of company, or at least like um, yes, some sort of charity and enterprise or trust enterprise which effectively first of all buys the property but then le- le- leases out a mortgage and then once that mortgage is paid for that then cooperative is fully self-sufficient and then any money that's made above above that um is then spent is then put into a pot to then get spent on more properties to be able to then build up a, a i don't want to use a developer term, but like a portfolio or, or at least a uh, um a collection of different houses around an area that are cooperatives uh, and in the student movement it's generally just a case that you would then pay a pound um, to then buy into that cooperative to be a member um, to have some sort of ownership in that house uh, and, then, and then whilst, whilst your tenancy of that, of that sort of property commences um, you, you know you make the decisions. you have sort of house meetings if there's ever a situation where if the boiler, boiler breaks and you need to and you need to work out how much each person is able to put towards the correct the the um the create the buying of the new boiler that that sort of thing Mm-hmm. Uh, then they could meet to do so and sort of general major elements of the house that need sort of you know committee or at least member um, participation in terms of what to spend or what to do during during certain scenarios but you know it's, it's been fantastic in this application in, in Edinburgh with the student cooperative there they were able to take over a um, uh, a it, it was a it was a student block uh, mm-hmm. a classic sort of student accommodation block um, but, you know, the, the university were looking to demolish it or get rid of it, whereas they were able to stay, step in and, t- and, and take it over. Uh, and as such, they are able, able to do, done some great development down in the basement to try and make it more of a communal area. Um, if you want to, you can knock um, through certain parts of walls to be able to actually you know, spread out certain parts if you're ha- happy to do so. Uh, and there's very much a huge community spirit there um, with all the students that um, sort of end up living in, and, and staying in there um, and, and, they're all, and they're all working together. Mm,
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, One um, other issue that has divided quite a lot of people in relation to housing is building on greenfield and greenbelt land. Mm. So um, do you think that we should build more houses on either greenfield or greenbelt land uh, in order to tackle the housing shortages? And if so, how permanent do you think the housing should be in the infrastructure?
1: I do believe you know you need to have a proper mixed approach. You cannot solely say green belt, neither can you solely say brown brownfield or, Bra- mm-hmm. or Bra- brown belt doesn't exist as a word. I don't know why I'm trying to <laughs> think about that. But um, you know, Guildford is a prime example of where this argue, well this this debate, one I can use the word argue, this debate has sort of mm-hmm. come to a head where you know you look at you, you look at the green belt land. It was it was designed as a way of preventing London from spreading out. Exponentially, as mm-hmm. what was what was being envisaged 60, 70 odd years ago. Um, but the issue that's come to the floor now is that people are much more people, much more people are living in where the green the green belt um, area is at the moment. Being a place like Guildford, Dorking, and um, Reigate mm-hmm. and Surrey along there, you know, same same happens in you know Cheshire and Avonshire and, area, and areas mm-hmm. such as that where there that, that's also a part of that sort of green belt area. I yeah I very much follow the I very much you know follow the line that I'm I'm supportive of a building on the green belt mm-hmm. just because the the, the 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 perceptions of the green belt being this huge biodiv bio, bio, biodiversity biodiversity landscape where if you get rid of even just a small section of it it's going to completely destroy uh, your ability to you know re- regenerate oxygen or take out carbon out of the atmosphere or or the um, insects or mammals mm-hmm. or, or amphibians or whatever types of species are going to go completely has been proven to be not true um it, you know you can create structures in new developments which can actually be better in terms of what is an application to biodiversity mm-hmm. than what currently exists um, and I know you get some extreme examples um, of some green belt sites being disused petrol stations for example mm-hmm. um, so in, in my you know in my opinion it's, it's a case of whilst there are well, in those areas where you see those where you see those increases of people that are living there you know mm-hmm. the southeast being a prime example of this mm-hmm. um then you know you you want you want everyone to, you want your sort of younger generations to be able to stay in that area there's going to have to be development in, in those green areas but it's also not huge um mm-hmm. for guildford for example it's it's only really one even though there's two or three strategic sites I say strategic sites because of the, you know, my council hat on when it comes to the local plan, which is basically a massive document which pinpoints the areas where the council is happy to facilitate the development of housing in that in the borough for the next mm-hmm. 15 years. Um, you know, there's only really two or three big sites in there, that actually impact onto the green belt massively, mm-hmm. um, massively in terms of its size, not massively in terms of the general part of the green belt. But you know, the, you, know you can you only really lose two, two or three percentages. Um, two or three percent of what your total green belt space is, mm. and if you look at a work that was done by the Young Liberals a few years ago, that you know, if you, you built on 0.5 percent of the green belt around London, you would build up to a million homes. And in my opinion, that's a good trade-off. Um, you know, the ability to start to tackle the housing crisis, because the housing crisis is not just caused by high rents that, or high rents or high purchasing uh, amounts, but it's also caused by the lack of housing as well. Uh, and you know, a trade off of 0.5% of the green belt to be able to build one million homes, and then still be able to actually incorporate really strong, really innovative biodiversity elements into those developments, to me is a is a is a fantastic trade off.
0: Mm, absolutely. One of the other issues that often comes out in regards to housing is um, building more housing in an environmentally sustainable way, and also balancing the amount of land that is obviously needed. Um, for new developments with um, land that um, is obviously needed to encourage, um, as as you mentioned, the greater biodiversity. How do we ensure that there is a balance between making sure that we don't harm the climate more than we already are, but also ensure that we can provide decent homes for people across the UK? Well,
1: it's an interesting one because a lot of that should come from... (sighs) unfortunately due to our economic system we the developers or at least housing Association yeah, basically developers or people that build houses the most will go for the most minimal standards of environmental environmental protection possible mm-hmm. or yeah. um, or bu- or building standards possible um, and you know we're seeing with national government we were we were kind of protective with some of the EU rules that came up that came into effect when it came to housing standards um, when we were in the EU a few a couple of years ago. But, but once we um, came out of that, the government removed some of those, some of those standards and some of those uh, elements from housing and building regulations. If we, you know, if, we have a gov- if we have governments that have these strong standards of what we expect, then we can be in a position where developers will build to those standards and we can sort of provide those protections so that for all housing developments, they are built in a sustainable way. There are, there are uh, the ability to ensure that the biodiversity is, is strong, and that a lot of the areas of and a lot of the strong natural characteristics are, are still kept. Whereas, you know, you, ha- you know, a, de- a completely deregulated housing market sector, which I'm sure some some MPs in mm-hmm. Westminster would love, um, would would be detrimental to be able to do such such a thing because it would just be carte blanche, and they could stick whatever whatever they want to whatever specification they would they desire in those areas.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what would you say were your three preferred policies? for tackling the housing crisis? I mean, you've touched upon some of them uh, there, but if you could just have three uh, specific policies that you think would um, make housing better in Britain, what three policies would you go
1: for? That is very good. Um, I was well, certainly, I think one of them is not necessarily a policy, but it's a case of how much you wish to spend on it. Um, actually having mass scale, budgets available towards the building of housing you know we are close to being in the situation where we were after world war Two um in terms of the, the housing crisis which is at play and we require the government to, to want to spend the money it needs to to actually build the uh build out the the housing we need effectively um it's you know one of the things we notice is from a local authority level is that we are gladly helped towards but you know building together the sites and whatnot but the money that's available from our perspective from our perspective is quite minimal mm-hmm. um but um, but the money that central government could provide to it especially given the fact that interest rate interest rate payments for borrowing is still incredibly low and with inflation being as high as it is at the moment the one shining light to that is that it's value com- comparative to our uh, GDP as a nation is actually drops because of it. Um, is actually to use that ability re, um, to, you know, borrow the amount we need to be able to build to be able to build those houses. Um, <coughs> so I certainly would say that as a as a first step. And then also um, sort of a second and third policy would be um, to things like housing co-ops things like community um, um, community sort of land trusts as well, where you have com- <coughs> companies where one um where companies could be set up and the government could, could help facilitate this but on a lot on a larger scale where companies are com- you know companies are created which they help fund half of half of your home being built mm-hmm. and the other half is is done through the tenant of that property that wishes to be to be built. Uh, and then what can happen is that over time that tenant can buy up to the amount of the rest of that mortgage and then go further into the amount that is owned by the Community land trust. Who are then able to use that money that's been raised to actually go ahead and build more more properties as well. So that would be another uh, another one. And then also the key, I think the key one would be the would be the scrapping of right to buy. Um, it's from a local property perspective, it, it you know destroys the ability to be able to really build up a housing stock uh, because it, it you know five years time, one your tenants can just go and buy the buy the house. <coughs> I'm sorry, buy the house at a um, at a substantially a uh, lower price than the will pay if, uh, under under a market rent scenario and if you want a for you want social rents and you want affordable rents for those in society who most need it uh, you need to ensure that their policies are in, in in place where you are funding local authorities to build those houses and to provide those social and affordable rents and you, you stop the ability for those houses to then be leaked out of the system in, in five years time mm-hmm. so that would kind of be a range of policies that i would yeah. that want to see to be introduced
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for um, sharing those policies with us. We're coming towards the end of the podcast. It's been great to have you on, James. And I have one final question for you. Tomorrow is the Oscars. And of course, there are a variety of different actors and films vying to win the coveted award. So my final question to you is this. If you had to choose any actor to portray
1: you in a film of your life, who would you pick? Oh, okay, that is, a, that is a very good question. Because um, I'm only 25, so it's, uh, I've, not been, uh, I've not been around for that long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so who actor would I want to see for training? Um, oh, I would have to say... Oh, I'm trying to think, actually, because I don't really know too many actors' names. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would probably say somebody closest to my age, somebody like Tom Holland. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's the only one I can think of that would be something that it, it could be seem reasonable to be playing a 25 year old given he's in his 20s as well. <laughs> given he's in his uh, 20s as well. Uh, so I'll uh, we yeah, probably go Tom Holland.
0: Yeah, I think that's an excellent choice. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast, James. If people want to find out, more about you where should they go to find out
1: more about you um, more, um, i've got a uh facebook page councillor james Steele, or find me on twitter at at james underscore steel seven um and then i've got like bits on LibDem websites or gbc's website as well to be able to you know if you want to get in contact with me or whatnot fantastic thank you once
0: again for coming on the podcast that's all right thank you so much